0: Ethan Cross is a well-known interior detective, you could call him, an authority on controlling our conscious minds. He's won awards. He's done many interviews in big media. He's been invited to share his wisdom at the White House. Ethan's a professor in the University of Michigan's psychology department, and he's also, as is the want these days with academic psychologists sometimes, also in that university's School of Business. He's the director of the Emotion and Self-Control Laboratory. He has written the best-selling Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters and How to Harness It. Professor Ethan Cross, hello to you.
1: Hello to you. So nice to be here.
0: Very good of you to join us. Look, I'm mindful that most people listening will be interested in how to manage anxious chatter, dark thoughts, you know, monologues in our brains that impede our living day-to-day, so I won't take long in getting to those. But reviews of your book tend to start, as your book does, with what happened 10 years ago when you were sitting up late at night with a baseball bat beside you, and it's an arresting anecdote even if you've had to tell it a lot. Would would you mind repeating it for us?
1: Uh, I'm happy to. Uh, Several years ago, my my research team and i published a study that ended up getting a lot of attention the the finding was that uh, at the neural level our experience of social pain being rejected resembled the experience of physical pain so the findings suggested that um, when we use the language of pain to describe how we're feeling when we're we're socially rejected we may be actually referring to physical sensations in our body it was a really exciting finding uh, we ended up getting a lot of media attention focused on it. Uh, about a week after this kind of media tour, I walk into my office uh, and I check my mailbox and I find a letter hand addressed to me. And I open it up, and it's a, a really unpleasant letter. It was um, filled with threats and racial slurs and gory, uh, distressing images. And I instantly experienced a, a kind of physiological stress response had to go to the police station talk to an officer and to make a long story short for the next couple of days I was filled with chatter thinking why did I do this interview what have I done to our family we've put them at risk I just had my first child at the time Uh, she's sleeping soundly I'm thinking oh my god what if something happens to her and and i'm pacing the house with my little league baseball bat in my pajamas i assure you i was not an intimidating sight nonetheless the baseball bat made me feel good and at my absolute very worst when this chatter peaked in my mind i actually sat down in front of my computer and i i started to 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 type bodyguards for academics which of course is a totally preposterous idea And, uh, and it really, that experience really punctuated for me, uh, a topic that I had spent my career studying, which is chatter, getting lost in these negative thought loops. They're often anxiety ridden, but they can be filled with sadness and anger too. these thought spirals to take us places where we don't want to go. I almost felt like I was in one of my own experiments by a strange twist of fate. And it, it really helped me wrap my head around this phenomenon in ways that ultimately have advanced my my own research. So that's that's the baseball bat story.
0: And it's a good story, well described, and very germane. So internal dialogues are really the rulers of our lives, as you discovered, along with the rest of us maybe, good and bad ones. Why do some people, presumably have quite sane-sounding inner voices, respectable inner voices. I mean, we all have those. But many people also have inner voices, I think, that are just a jumble. I mean, we can describe excerpts, we're not mad people, but there is such a multiplicity and fragments of thought too thin to digest properly. All that's going on as well, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, an inner critic yammering away at us, or you know, we get stuck in a negative thought loop. What if this happens? Oh my god! Or, or a depressogenic stream of thoughts. You're such a terrible person. How could you possibly do this again? What's wrong with you? And so, it's very easy to slip into those negative internal dialogues when you get stuck in those negative states. I call them chatter. We know it makes it hard for you to think and perform well. We know that it creates friction in relationships and. Undermines your health and well being. As far as why some of us experience that more often than others, we don't have a perfectly clear answer to that question. On the one hand, we know that genes play some role. We also know that early life experiences and experiences in life more generally also shape how we talk to ourselves. The kinds of conversations that we have with our parents and our friends and our bosses all impinge. On the internal narratives that we ourselves engage in it's as though we're born into this world with this remarkable tool but we never get a guidebook for how to wield it now if we if we take this tool metaphor a little bit further and think about something like a hammer a hammer is a remarkably functional tool it's how we build houses and do all sorts of things that i'm incapable of doing but others could do it but in the wrong hands A hammer can be a source of massive destruction. It can be a murder weapon. It can destroy things too. To some extent, I think that is analogous to when we talk about our inner voice. It can do remarkable good or harm. When chatter strikes, what we end up doing instead is just turning that problem over and over in our minds and, and creating new problems and micro problems and macro problems as a result. I mean, it's it's truly remarkable if you ever ask people to articulate what thoughts are streaming through their mind when they're experiencing chatter. It's wild. Some people are very hesitant to even say them out loud because they can sometimes be so remarkably outlandish. (laughs) Have you ever experienced such a train of thought? Absolutely. And and, and sometimes just making it audible snaps people out of it like, oh, my God, of course course i can't that's ridiculous it makes no sense yet when we get lost in in these spins chatter spin cycles that awareness often escapes us
0: what's the rate at which we talk to ourselves i couldn't believe this
1: well there's a, a study i cite in the book that um that estimates that we are capable of speaking to ourselves um at many thousands of words a minute we don't often think to ourselves in full sentences. We often think to ourselves in what scientists call compressed speech, in which um, a single word or pair of words can actually have a more elaborate meaning. So when I think to myself, daughter softball, that which is um, it's later on for me this evening, that, those two words connote a much broader meaning. And so the study that, that clock people's inner monologues as being capable of operating at several thousands of words a minute, it's actually looking at compressed speech and what that is equivalent to if you were to elaborate on it in, in terms of full sentences.
0: I know there are thousands of things happening in our heads. How can we prevent ruminative thoughts from gaining purchase in our brains, like, you know, earworms of songs in our ears? Because we have to ruminate, don't we? Just like a cow has to chew its cud.
1: In terms of what you can do to minimize the rumination, to shorten it, and and possibly even prevent it from occurring, there are many things you can do. I won't tell you about all 27 or so because... Um, <laughs> You may not want to hear about them all in one setting, but how about giving you a few highlights? Does that sound good?
0: That sounds good.
1: Okay. So if we start with some tools you can use on your own, the first thing that I tend to use is a strategy called distant self-talk. What this involves doing is I try to coach myself through the problem I'm experiencing using my own name and the second person pronoun you. So I might think, Ethan, how are you going to manage the situation? Um, when I do that, by the way, I do that silently in my head. I don't do it out loud in front of other people. It's an important caveat on how to implement that tool. There's lots of research showing that distance self-talk can be quite helpful for uh, allowing people to manage rumination effectively. Why is it useful? Well, we know from research that it's much easier for people to give advice to others than it is to give and take advice for themselves. It gets you to start relating to yourself yourself like you would another person. And that makes it much easier for us to give ourselves wise, emotionally intelligent advice. Perform a ritual. A ritual uh, is a, ref- a term we use to refer to performing a rigid sequence of behaviors that are infused with meaning. So before presentation, I might repeat a mantra in my head. I'll, say, I'll, I'll repeat the nickname that my high school wrestling coach gave to me. And then I will pound my fist three times into my palm. And then I'll use a little distant self talk, say, you got this, man, you got this. When we're experiencing chatter, we often feel like we don't have control over what's happening to us. Our mind is taking over and not in a very pleasant way. People don't like that. Human beings don't like that because we like to feel like we're in control. That's a powerful drive that we all possess. A ritual is something that is under your control. I can perform a ritual the same way every single time, and what research shows us is that when you perform a ritual during a chatter experience, that that compensates for the lack of control we feel when we're struggling with chatter, and that also can help help us feel a little bit better.
0: Just to clarify a couple of things you've just said, the distanced self-talk. So if you have a if um, Ethan is running. A race and has a kilometer to go and the body's flagging, you will talk to yourself and say, come on, Ethan, uh, rather than uh, I can do this, I can do this. You will put distance between yourself that way. You can refer to yourself in the third person.
1: Exactly, exactly. And actually, there's uh, there's some research showing that many people will spontaneously do this without even knowing it. When they're working on a difficult problem or a difficult task, like an exertion task, have you ever done this in your life? There's there's always variability here, but I love asking people: Have you ever found yourself either silently or even out loud addressing yourself with "you"?
0: No, I tend to say if I'm doing that on the odd occasion, I I would tend to say, "James, you can do this," rather than, "Uh, you know, you can do this." I would put that. Oh. Ex- I'd put that extra distance.
1: Yeah, so that's exactly that's exactly this phenomenon. And, you know, history is replete with cases of people doing it from uh, Julius Caesar to Jennifer Lawrence, the the actress, to LeBron James, Malala Yousafzai, and countless others. I talk about a lot of these anecdotes in my book. It's, it's really wild to see consistently, you see people doing this during moments of stress. This is a, a tool that is seemingly hidden in plain sight. And, and this is an example of how knowing about the science, I think, can be valuable for bringing it out. You
0: mentioned Heidi Klum in the book. And speaking of ritual, the ritual she goes through when she's she has recourse to when she's flying. And we also get here into the power of placebo because we know that Lucky Charms, and she has one, I've forgotten what it was, uh, Lucky Charms, and we accompany ourselves with all sorts of superstitions, and we know they might be ridiculous. But in fact, you say they have real power and real effect.
1: Yeah, we've done this. There's, there's just huge literature on the power of beliefs to impact how we think, feel, and behave. It's, it's a remarkable literature. We've seen this in the context of people who are suffering from depression and anxiety. Um, we've done this in my lab where we give people... Uh, a a nasal spray, and we tell them, "Hey, if you know you snort this nasal spray, it instantly passes the blood-brain barrier, and it's going to provide you with emotional relief when you think about having just been rejected by the person you love." And lo and behold, when you when you give people that spray, and they actually believe that it's going to help them, it has that benefit. So we know you can control your chatter, and we know that simply believing that you can control it is is really important.
0: I've just remember what Heidi Klum does. She keeps her milk teeth in a tiny yes. a tiny bag, and ca- finds and ca-
1: carries it around. <laughs> it well, you know, it's the, if you think about superstitions have been with us for a very long time. And if you you know, if you stop to think about what's the functionality of them, like if if something has no functionality, we should get rid of it um, as we move along through cultural evolution but but superstitions have stuck around for a while and I think there is a scientific explanation for why that is
0: Ethan if you have baggage whole suitcases full of you know guilt and shame and failure and you know you think that will always be true of you more or less does this kind of distancing that you're talking about still work
1: what I would say is that uh, a lot of the tools that I talk about work as well or are more effective for people who are suffering from the bigger forms of chatter than the weaker forms. Whether we
0: view what we're worried about as a threat or a challenge is vital, yeah?
1: Yes. The way we answer those two questions is not fixed. You can change the way. You can, you can shift from thinking about a situation as a threat. I can't do it to thinking about it as a challenge. Yeah, I can manage this. And that just sets you on a totally different trajectory when it comes to your emotional life.
0: There'll be tons of people listening to this, though, who've heard that, and a percentage of them for whom it hasn't worked. So you're asked to give a speech. You're talking about giving a speech. One of the great fears, a greater fear than... Death It was once claimed in the Book of Lists, which was a big publishing event once upon a time. You may be too young for the Book of Lists. So you have to stand up at a wedding, and no matter how hard you try to reframe that anxiety as a challenge, the voice in your head says, this isn't a challenge, you fool, it's a disaster. Um, That must happen a lot to just about everybody at some time. Any tips here?
1: Yeah, so here's where I would try to merge some tools. For example, I would use distant self-talk in this context to try to reframe the strategy. In fact, we see that when you use your name and you to try to a situation, it often leads you to appraise that situation as a child more as a challenge as opposed to a threat. Just to give you one one other thing to think about you and your listeners is what would you say to someone else? that like someone you care about before they have this high stakes performance where they may be th- thinking in threat, threaten, threat terms, would you tell them, oh, you're going to screw this up? You can't <laughs> do this. There's no way you're going to do this. Yeah, you might as well call it quits now because no one's ever going to talk to you again. You're probably going to lose your job and you may die as well, right? What I've just articulated is a common sequence of chatter-provoking thoughts that we think to ourselves that's a threat mode. And you would never say that to someone else. And that's where part of the value of that tool lies.
0: Very interesting to hear you talk about the book and about the techniques, uh, the tools as you call them. Uh, Ethan, thank you very much for also for giving us your time.
1: Thanks so much for having me it was a wonderful, wonderfully delightful conversation.
0: Professor Ethan Cross,